Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life for Abena podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. We pray that this message is a blessing. Through God's providence, uh, today, we actually changed our plan of who was preaching. And after the first service, I see it was God's hand was all over it. We've invited someone to come preach this morning who's been part of our church planning residency and is going to be our next church planner. Before I say who it is, we know if you were here last week, tonight at our 6pm service, our next church plant resident, David Skembry will be preaching at our 6pm service. We'd love you to come back at 6pm tonight. If you're online, it'll be posted online as well to come and hear the heart of one of our future church planners. You know but last week, it was my privilege to announce that New Life Church, New Life Family of Churches is planting again. And we have the privilege this morning to hear from our next church planner for New Life Morden, Dylan Ball. Would you welcome Dylan as he comes and he shares with us today. Well, friends, welcome. It is so good to be here with you this morning and a special welcome to those who are joining us online. As Mike said, uh, my name is Dylan. I am married to my beautiful wife, Casey. We've been, t- we've been married for nine years now, together for 13. Some of you are laughing at that, that but it's a, it's a long time for me, all right? which is great. We've got two kids, two beautiful kids. My son, Jonah, is five. Um, he is a little legend. He looks like a mini me, which I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's a thing. And my daughter, Elsie, is three. She is the mo- biggest joy of my life, the biggest delight, um, just a beautiful, beautiful girl. And as Mike said, uh, we announced last week that we will be planting a church in Moreton Bay region, which we are just incredibly excited about. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Church planning gets me excited, and it gets me excited for this reason, that through planting a church, through seeing the gospel move forward, we join God in the renewal of all things. And church planning carries with this, this beautiful, broad vision of seeing God touch lives, touch a generation, and start something new, and pioneer something new. And so it's been quite a, a week, as you can imagine, of lots of emotions. There's been lots of kind of really good stuff. There's been some stuff which has been hard. And so... Really what's on my heart this morning is is simply this. I just want to open up the Scriptures. I want to open up the Word of God to you. And I want to look at what God intends church planting to be. And I want to ask this subsequent question, and it's this. Where can you and I join God in the renewal of all things through church planting, through the Great Commission, and through making disciples? If I can do those two things this morning, I think we're, we're, we're having a win. Does that sound good? Awesome. I want to start this morning with a story, just quickly before we get to the next um, slide. Is I like to, um, my mother-in-law is an amazing cook. All right? Some of you in here, you, you can't cook. Jason Mountjoy, some of you are really good cooks. My mother-in-law. And I often go over to my mother-in-law's place just for, for dinner. Um, it becomes an easy night for my wife and I to kind of just relax. And the, the, the grandparents just love on the kids and we just sit back and, and relax. It's amazing. But uh, a couple of years ago, I sat down with my mother-in-law, and, and she's a big history buff, a big local history buff. And she, was, she began to show me uh, a story of someone who was quite local um, to the area that I grew up in. And it was a man by the name of George Biggs, and he's going to be on the screen now. Impressive haircut, even more impressive mo, right? His name is George Biggs. And I thought I'd just start this morning by giving you a few details of who this George Biggs guy was. George Biggs was born in May 1840 in Hampshire, England. He was the son of Thomas and Sarah Biggs. George grew up in an uneducated family. 
1869, George moved over to Australia with his wife, Emma, and their children. And they established themselves at Bunya, which is a suburb kind of in the northwestern suburbs of Brisbane. Around this time, George met a man on foot who he called in his biography, a man on foot. Someone who he randomly encountered who shared the gospel with him. Someone shares the gospel with George. George responds, coming from an uneducated background where there was a lot of violence in the home. And then he meets Jesus and his life is forever changed after that point. We go on, it says this, George Biggs was a member of the Pine Rivers Divisional Board from its inception in 1888, serving for 13 years. He was a board chairman during the years XYZ. He was a prominent member of the Bunya School Committee. Like, weird flex, but okay. He was a, he was a board member. And he was also a well-known and loved lay preacher with the Methodist Church, later becoming a much-respected circuit steward, becoming instrumental in the planting of churches and in the gospel going forward and in people coming to meet Jesus. This is a guy by the name of George Biggs. At some stage in George Biggs' life, God had interrupted his life through the vessel of another human with the gospel of Jesus. And George's life was never, ever the same. Now, I love this story because you know what it says? It says this, that God turns up in the ordinary moments of our life and encounters us. There's, a photo, there's another photo here that I've got on the screen, which is of my beloved home church, New Life Brisbane. Um, this church was planted about four or five years ago under the, under the leadership of Pastor Michael and, and Sarah. And what I love about this church is this, that when I go inside, when I stand there with my church family and we sing praises to Jesus, around the building, exactly like in here, is all these plaques. And these plaques have different dates. They have different names. George Biggs being one of them. All these names around on the wall. And it shows me that in this moment in time, I stand on the back foot I stand established here on the work of the gospel that's gone ahead of me. Which is a beautiful legacy for you and I to understand that it is by no coincidence that you are here this morning following Jesus. Do you know that Jesus has done something dynamic in your life, in your family's life, in your generation, so that you would know Him and that you would make Him known? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I just, I love this photo. It's, I could behold it all day. There's my, actually, this is my son in the, in the corner there, right right there in the blue shirt, very angry. He asked for a, a, a soft drink and I said, no, we don't have soft drink in this family. And then he got really angry and sat there. So that was really great. But anyway, that's an aside. <laughs> so here at New Life, one of the ways that we keep ourselves grounded in the God's mission and God's call for us, how, the kind of the metric of success is what we call the four Gs. Gather, glue, grow and go. You would have heard this a lot and I'm going to tell you a bit about it again because it gets my heart excited. Come on. All right. Number one. We gather the lost. Part of our vision of this church is that not just that we would fill a building with people who know Jesus, but that we would create a container for more people to become more like Jesus. So we gather the lost. Number two, we glue into community. One of the things that we do is that we seek to create a space where the community finds hope, finds healing, and finds their place with us. We want to see people glued into community because relationships are dynamic. Relationships where you are fully known and fully loved is beautiful. Number three, we grow as disciples here at New Life. We are unashamedly committed to spiritual formation. We want to follow Jesus where He's going. We want to become more like Him in everything. We want to partner with God through the journey of where He's taking us so that we would become more like Him. He is our true north. He is the one who we behold so that we can become like Him. 
And number four, we go on mission. We go on mission. We do this through planting churches, what we're about to do. We do this through making disciples. We do this in many, many ways. You do this through going to your workplace and carrying the good news of Jesus. So we go on mission. And one of the ways we go on mission as, as a people of God is through planting churches. And you'll notice here that the key to all of this is this, discipleship. Planting churches in and of itself is not discipleship. Discipleship becomes the outworking of the reason why we plant churches. There's a guy called Peyton Jones and he says this quote. He says this. He says, if you plant churches, discipleship may or may not happen. Yet if you devote yourselves to making disciples, churches will inevitably be planted. So our planting of churches is an outworking of disciple. It's an outworking of our hunger to see Jesus be made known and loved in our world. That's why we plant churches. So today I'd like to do these few things. Number one, I would like to just give us a very, very, very brief biblical foundation of why I think church planting is a beautiful thing. The reason why I'm giving my whole life to do it. Number two, that's the why. Number two, I want to look at the what. I want to look at what does planting churches achieve? What can we expect from planting churches? That sound good? All right, it's good. All right, let's start. Number one, why do we plant churches? First point, it's biblical. Uh, It's very silent, you're worrying me. It's biblical. (laughs) Planting churches is biblical. We read in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus has an interaction with Peter and he says this, and I tell you that you are Peter. Now, you know the story of Peter, right? Peter's not who you'd want on your team often. He says, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. You're Peter. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus commits that Peter, you're a ragamuffin man, you're a bit strange, but I'm gonna build my church on the testimony of what you say. And it's this, two verses earlier, it says this. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And at the moment that Peter says that, Peter joins what we read in Ephesians 2.20 as the apostolic conviction of the faith that Jesus is God, that Jesus is good, and that Jesus is doing things continuously. And he says this, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I want to look briefly at these four words. Oh, five words. One, two, three, four, five. Five words. I will build my church. Number one, I. Who does it? Jesus. I talk to so many people that see me around in local cafes where I live and they're like, Dill, I saw the announcement. You're planning a church. How are you feeling? I'm like, oh, a little bit stressed, a little bit worried, but also... Jesus built his church. I don't build it. Like if, if the kingdom of God was built on a few professional Christians, we'd be in a, uh, the stressful times, right? Especially me. Jesus built his church. I, Jesus, will build the church. Number two, we'll build. Jesus will build his church. He will do that through many means, through many people. Some of them ragamuffins like Peter, some of them celebrities, but Jesus is gonna build his church. The second thing, Well, the third thing, my, it's his. It's his church. It's not man's church, which gives me a sense of reverence to carry this message of Jesus and carry what we're doing to be reverent before Jesus to say this, it is your church. It is not my church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not the minister's church. It's not the people's church. It's your church. It's his church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. They're the moments where things look bad, things look like there's oppression being experienced, but we say this, we know that Jesus writes the final word. We read Revelation, we see where the story ends, we know where the story started in Genesis 3. In between is what we do. 
So we as the people of God run forward in power. And then Jesus then basically in the next kind of 12 chapters between, in, in Matthew's Gospel, between Matthew 16 and Matthew 28, begins to throw, we, we, we read stories that throw a bit of paint and throw a bit of colour on that which is the journey of following Jesus. And in this, we see healings, we see relationships restored, we see salvation, miracles, signs, wonders, all these beautiful things that it should encourage us this, that the Christian life of planting churches and seeing people become more like Jesus is exciting. It's not boring. I I spent a few years as a social worker and I saw some pretty funky, interesting stuff. I can tell you that now. But I didn't leave social work to become a pastor because I wanted a job that was boring. It's amazing. And those of you who know Jesus this morning, you're welcomed into this as well. It's a beautiful, amazing, exciting life. But the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is not just about making disciples. It's about baptising people as well. And that's an important distinction. Yes, it is solely built on making disciples, but we baptise people too, which signifies new life. People meeting Jesus, going down into the water, coming back up, experiencing new life. So we baptise people too, which is part of that great commission, is to go out and apostolically set things up, create communities, touch our workplaces for Jesus, so that we would see people baptised and then joining us in the journey of following Jesus in spiritual formation. Beautiful, beautiful news. We see in Acts 2 that 3,000 people come to faith. They begin to gather as the church. So Jesus goes, the Holy Spirit comes, and the church explodes By the time we get to Acts 13, we see the church of Antioch sending Paul and Barnabas to the cities in the Mediterranean region for the purpose of the apostolic evangelistic church. In Acts 14, 21, when Paul and Barnabas went into the particular city, they preached the gospel and people responded. That's why we're a church that preaches the gospel. We make it about Jesus because He is the power of God and the salvation. In in chapter 14, 23, they appointed pastors over the churches for the continuous spiritual growth and planting of more churches so that people would become like Jesus. But church planting is not merely about establishing new congregations. That's part of one of the core things that we want to see a new people built up. But the second thing is this, it's about leaving a legacy that blesses generations to come. We care for people's spiritual needs and we set up a legacy So point number two that I want to look at is the what, and it's this. It impacts generations. Church planting, discipleship, baptism, spiritual formation impacts generations. What we see is that the gospel has the power to transform lives, to build a dynamic narrative, to restore a broken narrative, and to give newness and freedom and healing, and to awaken destiny in those who carry the message. If you've got your Bibles, can I encourage you to turn with me to Psalm 145? It's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to be reading from verse 3. And I just want you to let this wash over you this morning as you look at this. It says this, verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. The power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness. And they joyfully sing of your righteousness. 
Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scripture that we see that one generation commends the work of God to the next. I want to bring you back the photo of my boy, George Biggs, the guy that I talked to you about with the weird moustache and weird hair. You know the amazing thing about this photo? Is that George Biggs is actually my great-great-grandfather. Bizarre. And I only found this out two years ago. Here I was thinking that I'm the first of my Christian line in my family and like, oh Lord, I better start something new. No, from one generation to the next, God makes known and establishes something. George Biggs, an uneducated man who came from England, who moves to the north side, where I'm from, God's country, some would say, (laughs) meets Jesus as an uneducated man. No one knew him. He didn't know anyone. All of a sudden, he got his heart, as, as John Wesley says, strangely warmed. And he meets Jesus and changes the spiritual lineage of his family moving forward. I remember when I first heard this, I just started crying because it was like, oh God, you see something. You've seen something. You're faithful. I believe he would have been a praying man. He would have prayed into the generations which were to come. And I became the beneficiary of those prayers. So some of you today are like, oh, my kids don't know Jesus. My grandkids, let's just keep praying. Let's keep praying. There's a second slide that I want to show you here. And it's of this, Glad Tidings Tabernacle. This is where Dylan gets really excited now. Woo! I always get that Pentecostal two-step on. Glad Tidings Tabernacle. This place, Glad Tidings Tabernacle, was started by, um, uh, what's his name? William Clibben Booth? Booth Clibben. William Clibben Booth. Um, The the grandson of the guy who started the Salvation Army. In around 1920, on the the kind of the verge of the Great Depression, he comes over here, his grandson comes over, establishes a church, sets up a tent meeting, starts to care for the spiritual health of the community, begins to do soup kitchens and do all these things and hold meetings every night. Over the course of the first year, 800 people come to know Jesus. From this place, the Assemblies of God movement begins to sprout out. They partner with a place called Commonwealth Bible College, which was the Assemblies of God Bible College. They begin to send people for the gospel work. Young people come in, get trained up, get sent out. People in their middle years to older years come back, get trained up, get sent out. It's a missionary movement, all from this little place. And then in 1960, they go, you know what, we're growing at such a pace, we should build a building. They build this building here, Glad Tidings Tabernacle, they rename it. Glad Tidings Tabernacle is a place that my family in the 1970s and 1980s, during the charismatic renewal, got swept up in a move of God, encountered Jesus, saw Jesus, They have testimonies of of worshipping all night, all these beautiful, beautiful things. My family got caught up here. Some of my uncles are in ministry now because of what God did in that room. And that formed part of this DNA in me. So I've kind of got, now I'm like, all right, it makes sense. This is why I'm confused. Part of me has got this Methodist background where I'm all about holiness and the gospel and that. Part of me has got the Holy Spirit fuel of like the Pentecostals. And then now I'm like, I don't know what my proper idea, who am I? I'm Dylan. That's why the third photo is of me. It seems a bit narcissistic, but it shouldn't be. And I show you this photo, not to show myself, but to to make this point, right? Is that one generation commends the work to a next. I stand here on the background of God doing a beautiful work in my family. My family aren't Christians. Sorry, my parents. My parents don't know Jesus. My grandparents don't know Jesus. But somehow the narrative has meant that God in his perfect timing brought me And I would stand here in a building that talks about Methodist preachers going back 200 years and I stand there 
as a testimony of God's faithfulness through the generations. So what do I wanna say? That if you're, feeling un- if you're feeling doubting of God this morning, I've got good news for you. God's not done with your family yet. Amen? Take a bit longer this time around. All right. Verse six, they tell the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. This is the thing, friends, that we should do. Be aware of what God is doing in your life, in your story. So when people say, why are you planning a church? For this reason. I want to see the works of Jesus go out so that my kids can know Jesus, so that my kids' friends can know Jesus. And so that we can create a container that would catch individuals to give them the good news of Jesus. The second point is this. Why do we plant churches? Why do we do the stuff? Secondly, it's a catalyst for renewal. Church planting ushers in renewal. And it does it in two ways. The first one is this. It starts renewal in the sending church and in the church that it's a part of. Churches who start new churches often experience renewal because of the process of church planting. Those who church plant see Jesus do amazing things and get ignited again. My generation, we're in a generation of disillusionment. Deconstruction, disillusionment. Not filthy words, just words that we experience, right? As God does a beautiful thing at New Life Brisbane, I see people getting re-enchanted with the gospel because people are meeting Jesus and some of these people have not seen people meet Jesus for 20 years. You know what happens when you witness someone meet Jesus? You get taken back to your first love. This is why we do this. It starts renewal in the church. Tim Keller says this, a vigorous and continuous approach to church planning is the only way to guarantee an increase in the number of believers and is one of the best ways to renew the whole body of Christ. Which goes against our our cultural individualistic society. We send our best. We send people to go to the work of the gospel. I don't want to leave Brisbane. It's my church. I've got to go. The mission of God calls us on. It's beautiful. And some of you might be in this moment, you might be like, hey, I'm not in my 30s anymore. Like I'm not in my mid-20s, early 20s. I can't just move. And if you've heard me today say, move to new life, Morton, A, I'm going to be in trouble. It's not great. B, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Thanks. Where does God want to take you? How does God want to show you that he is continuously up to something in the local church through church planting? Peter Wagner and Ed Stetzer, two guys who are kind of the bosses when it comes to like missiological stuff and like knowing statistics in churches. They looked at this and they really did some statistics and looked at it around the fact that churches who plant churches seem to funnel in more people. When we send, it creates room for more people and it's this beautiful cyclical thing that goes on. As God gives of his resources, as the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, We challenge God to do what he said he'd do and he does it. That's the good news of Jesus. The second way it ushers in renewal is this. It leads to renewal in the world. Because it's not just about what happens here on a Sunday, although this is important. When we plant churches, when we make disciples, when we go out, it actually does something in the community and it blesses the community that we're a part of. Church plants reawaken the whole church to people still in need of a relationship with God. And what it makes us do as Christians is this. It makes us ask the question, Lord, where is your spirit going before us? How do I partner with you? Not the other way around. It leads to critical reflection. 
This week I had a, a, had a bit of a sit down with Brett Lush, the amazing Brett Lush, and we just began to dream and I heard more about New Life Care and, and, and kind of the ways that that would underpin much of what we do and how we would have a beautiful partnership. And I got excited at this. Not only in a year's time, at our next conference, will I be here with people from New Life Morton who've come to know Jesus. I'm believing that some of those people are going to be people who have experienced the love of Christ through our church, not just on a Sunday, but through initiatives that we do in the community. This is what we want. We want to do word and deed, and the power of the Holy Spirit wells up within both. It's amazing. Also, secondly, some of the best things about this is this, that new churches best reach new generations, new residents, and new people groups. Number one, new generations. There's just, it, it, it just is what it is. There are some churches that are going to reach new generations by virtue of those who come to that church. We want to partner with God to see new generations reach. Number two, new residents. There are people who are moving into the area around here everywhere, right? Queensland is just blowing up. We need more churches to reach new people. If you think about this as a container, we need many, many more containers. And number three, new people groups. We have some beautiful cultures that are joining in many of our areas. And how do we get creative about meeting those cultures and loving them where they're at and contextualising, not changing the gospel, but contextualising the way that we do things to be culturally inclusive, to see Jesus meet individuals. That, that, just, that just gets my heart going to imagine a church because that will be the new heavens and the new earth, amen? Multi-generations multi-ethnicities, everyone gathering around Jesus saying, holy, holy, holy is the lamb who was slain. And that's our testimony. So basically now what I want to do is we've looked at the what and we've looked at the why of church planning. But now I want to ask you a question and I want you to take the what and the why and I want you to put yourself right at the middle of what it is. Where do you come into this? Because I sit here in a room that's very full with people with a beautiful history of loving God and the current ways that you guys support church plants, that you meet people for Jesus in your workplace. But I guess the call I want to make now is this. What does it look like for you to, to meet at the middle of both of those things? What is your role to play in the Great Commission? And partly how I want to do this is this. I want to challenge you to listen in this moment because of this reason, until pastors and those people at churches are convinced of their mutual calling and gifting, that they are interdependent partners in evangelism and discipleship, Australia will not be reached for Jesus. I get paid to be a pastor, but for 98% of Christians, that's not your story. And that's a beautiful thing because you are sent as missionaries, but you need to ask the question. And I want to challenge you to ask the question, where is God taking you? Where is God taking you? What is he wanting to do in your life again? What I loved is, and I said this in the 8am, is this, that I think it was last year we had a, uh, a conference and, and, and God did something in my life right here, like right here on the ground. A whole bunch of people came and prayed for me. And a whole bunch of people that I, I, I'd never met before, I didn't know, and, and uh, some of the older people began to kind of speak things over my life. And, and, it, and after, not only did God encounter me, it wrecked me. And the reason it wrecked me is this. We need the coming generation to take the baton from those prayer warriors who have gone before for many, many years. 
New Life Morton can't be planted because of, someone's, because of a pastor's zeal or ability. It's got to be planted on the back of prayers and love and fervent prayers. And so I wonder whether this morning, as we, as we finish up our time, whether just this one thing stands out to me. Is God calling you to take up the mantle of prayer? Fiona mentioned this morning that there's, there's prayer that happens in this corner uh, most weeks. I wonder whether God wants to awaken something in our hearts this morning to get us back to the place and back to a spirit of prayer where we get excited about God, where we don't let the professionals do the work or believe that they are the ones that do the work best even sometimes. But God's put a call on your heart. So I wonder whether now you'd stand with me and, and I'm just going to hold some space and pray for a moment. I'd like to welcome the band back up now as well. Lord, we just invite your presence and your spirit here now. Lord, we just love that, as your word says in Psalm 145, Lord, from one generation to the next, you make yourself known through the testimony of what's on the individual's lips, Lord. We love, Lord, that when you touch someone's life with the gospel, generations change, Lord. Generations change. Something changes, Lord. And Lord, this morning, I want to take a moment to just honour those who are in this room who have carried that mantle of prayer, who have carried an expectation that, God, you want to do something amazing and beautiful and that it needs to be built on prayer. I talked to a brother this morning who had family who was involved in the Welsh revival. And just hearing those stories, Lord, of of it's always been about prayer. It's always been about people coming and contending to know you. Yet, Lord, with that is always this this temptation for us to fall asleep. And so I wonder now whether across this room, you just invite, you just open up your hands in this moment, just as a, a posture towards God. And Lord, as people do this this morning, we would ask this, Lord, that you would come, Holy Spirit, Lord, that for some of us in this room, we have dreams and visions of what ministry would look like. We, we had dreams and visions of what church would look like. We had dreams and visions of what the Great Commission would look like. But we're still waiting for some of those things to happen, Lord. We're still waiting for some of our family to know Jesus. And in this moment, I would just pray, Lord, instill in our hearts this morning a fresh expectation that you are still God on your throne and you still have something for us to do. and that you're moving, God. I pray for those this morning who are experiencing hurt at at what's gone before them and behind them in their generations. And I pray now, Lord, that you would just give them courage and boldness to come up and meet you. And with that, we're just going to have the, uh, the section leaders just come to the front in a moment, or right now, actually. And I'd love to invite you to come up for prayer. If you want prayer, if you want God to do something in your life, if you want to come up, if you want someone to speak the Word of God over you and pray for you, can I invite you to come up now? Secondly, if you've got something in your past that you feel is holding you back or is bugging you, you might have held on to this for 50, 60, 70 years, can I encourage you to come up the front? We really believe, we had a few um, of the team share and there's this real theme this morning that God wants to basically do a work and just bring a bit of healing and wholeness again. 
So if that's you, could I encourage you to come up now? While we do that, the band's going to be singing and worshipping. But if that's you, please do not leave this moment. From one generation to the next, the eye of the Lord has been on you. He loves you and He wants to do business with you this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.